Welcome to The Current Forecast, the podcast series that takes a look at the current news and latest developments in blockchain. I'm Angie Lau, Forecast News Editor-in-Chief. Okay, so here's how it works. The forecast team has curated the top trending stories in the blockchain industry on the worldwide digital web. But we go that extra step to connect the dots, dig a little deeper into actually why these developments are important and why anyone should be paying attention. So I'm here with our senior correspondent and forecast insight guru, Sam Reynolds, and we're going to dive in. Sam, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. (laughs) Okay. All right, folks. Welcome to episode three of the current forecast. This week's forecast, sunny in the regulatory space in India, South Korea, and France, with rain clouds on the horizon as COVID-19 and coronavirus fears hit blockchain companies directly in China. Okay, so let's start, Sam. Let's, Let's set up our first deep dive here. India's Supreme Court overturning the Reserve Bank of India's ban on cryptocurrency. We saw a 2,650% increase in Twitter search volume for hashtag India wants crypto and hashtag India gets crypto. So let's talk about this. Uh, Let's give it some context for people. This was a result of a ban uh, from the RBI on cryptocurrency back in 2018. And India's Supreme Court recently overturned it. Yeah, that's right. So keep in mind, though, that the era that this ban was put in place was one of crypto euphoria. So we just had the ICO crash and we had lots of retail investors get wiped out. So in this crude rubble of the disaster of ICOs, regulators around the world, like in India, wanted to put forward laws to make sure it didn't happen again. Now, if you fast forward to 2020, it's a very different place in the crypto sphere, right? So one thing we have now are STOs, security token offerings, which want to work hand in hand with regulators as opposed to trying to go against them. And so that's really just a proof that the crypto industry has matured and the reversal of this said ruling actually is a product of this maturity. And I'm looking forward to India, which is the world's second biggest country, really coming alive and seeing what we can do in this very exciting and dynamic market uh, with crypto. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I was talking to Samit Gupta in uh, one of our podcasts, uh, CEO of CoinDCX, and and you guys have to listen to it. It's this. It was one of the four crypto exchanges in India that actually challenged this all the way up to the Supreme Court. It's curiously, well, perhaps not, but understandably, um, the only one left standing since the RBI ban uh, there. The euphoria is real and not necessarily from a crypto exchange point of view, but really from a perspective that Samit shared, which is this allows India to actually nurture the ecosystem that brings back blockchain talent, that encourages uh, blockchain startups to start again. Uh, They can go to the crypto market if they wanted to with specific cryptocurrencies or tokens that are specific to their protocols. And it really, in his view, will nurture and and, um, encourage uh, and accelerate potentially this dynamic in India that has actually gone away because the environment wasn't in India to really support it. So it's going to be interesting to see from a talent point of view, too. Well, that's right, because actually, as Forecast Insights reported prior, India has a huge pool 
of software talent, right? And they have a big pool of developers that are in the blockchain. Now, they've mostly before done outsourcing work on projects from the U.S., uh, from Europe, so on and so forth. But now with this new reversal of the ruling, they have a domestic industry that will take off and flourish. And you have this experienced talent base. So I look forward to what comes next for India. Yeah, and connecting the dots, to our next story, this is a 5,000% increase in Google search volume that South Korea is creating a new regulatory framework. Uh, and what's interesting here is that it really kind of continues this trend that, that we're talking about, Sam, that we're seeing this evolution of maturity of knowledge amongst regulators. 2017 was 2017, 2020 looks um, like it has evolved from even there. So what's happened in South Korea is that the National Assembly has amended the Act on Reporting and Using Specified Financial Transaction Information a lot of words to actually say that they're creating a framework for regulating uh, these virtual asset service providers and legitimizing cryptocurrencies. We know that South Korea and uh, this nation has been really flourishing in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. So this is also an interesting evolution in the regulatory thinking. Well, definitely, because I do see parallels here. Again, South Korea rode the waves of crypto euphoria in 2017, but again, was also hit hard by the ICO crash. Um, I believe a survey conducted by a local job board called uh, Saramin in Korea showed that at the peak of uh, everything in 2017, on average, Koreans owned 5.6 million won, so about 5,600 US dollars in crypto. And of course, uh, once this whole thing came apart in 2017, they were wiped out. So the government had to act. Now, again, fast forward, things are different. So I think in this case, you do have stakeholders in Korea working with regulators to show them that you can have laws that are both pro-consumer protection and also pro-crypto. And the result is this bill, this very wordy long bill that opens up the markets once again to Koreans. So do you think you we're going to have the same effect that we might see in India? Is the talent in South Korea there? Uh, is that is that appetite to work in the industry there? Well, I definitely think so, right? Because lots of Koreans are really wanting to go to startups and fintech startups because the uh, Chables in Korea, the Samsungs and Hyundais, they are one lifestyle that involves uh, long hours and hard work, whereas a fintech startup would definitely have a more uh, progressive uh, lifestyle choice for Koreans. You have uh, work-life balance, you have fair compensation, and you have the chance to actually build from the ground floor a really exciting product. And I definitely do think that you have the appetite both from the developer point of view working in that new startup culture and also from traders because recall you know at the peak of crypto euphoria the korean won was one of the uh largely largest traded fiat currency pairs uh you know in the world actually uh, behind the usd and just behind the yen and recall that the yen is actually a much bigger uh currency because japan's economy is bigger than south korea's economy so I think that if you look at the data from traders and the data from the fiat to cryptocurrency pairs and just how strong the won is, you see that traders have an appetite for crypto. And I expect that once 
this bill comes into, into force and once the uh, you know crypto scene matures, you will see a rise once again in the excitement, uh, but responsible excitement for trading crypto in Korea. Yeah, that that's actually a great perspective and really brings in that kind of global FX um, uh, sensibility into why people are are actually thinking about cryptocurrencies to begin with, um, really across Asia and around the world increasingly. All right, let's talk about this, uh, Sam. I hear you you speeding in the background. They're speeding to uh, <laughs> maybe their next crypto exchange or something. But listen, um, let's talk about a new baseline for privacy. We saw a 5,000% increase in Google search volume for baseline protocol. Tell us about this a little bit. This is EY, Ernst & Young, Microsoft, and Consensus announcing the launch of baseline protocol. This is a new set of public tools that... Um, addresses privacy concerns with Ethereum, or tries to. Tell us a little bit more about this. Sure. Okay. So as much as enterprises around the world want to integrate blockchain into their software stack, the one concern is privacy. You don't want uh, corporate data on a public blockchain. Now, even though it can be encrypted, the risk is still that someone could peek around and decrypt this and uh, you know have this data. So for the most part, companies prefer to use their own blockchain, right? Their own permission private chain, which is okay. But the problem is the high cost of establishing that kind of setup makes blockchain actually not a wise investment for some companies. So this baseline protocol from EY, Microsoft, and Consensus, it allows you to hide or um, uh, encrypt and make private certain key data on the blockchain so you can use the power of the ethereum mainnet and the broad support that it provides and all the security enhancements and the the crowd doing uh bug hunting you can use that large community and large blockchain without having to risk your privacy because it's more efficient to have everyone on the one mainnet as opposed to having these silo blockchains and so this tool from these guys really works to hit that pain point and to uh, allow people to get on that main net without sacrificing privacy. I mean, one of the huge issues as well is, is there an enterprise-grade solution uh, with blockchain protocols and with baseline protocol, you've got Ernst & Young, Microsoft and Consensus coming together and establishing um, potentially that protocol for enterprise. Uh, do, do you think that that would uh, alleviate any concern? Um, does that, does that uh, nullify uh, or, or cancel out any hesitation? Uh, does this allow corporates to actually start really thinking about enterprise adoption? Well, it's the first big step because the other problem that Ethereum has is the scale right now. So even though Ethereum's mainnet is so big, uh, to handle a large volume of transactions, there is some lag there. So I think the baseline protocol is the first step in the right direction for big corporations to start to use Ethereum. The next step is for Ethereum to solve the scaling problem. But it's, you know, it's one step at a time. And I think this is actually a very positive direction for Ethereum. All right. I want to pick up the phone and dial up HTC Exodus 5G Hub here. It's a 3,350% uh, increase 
uh, in Google search volume. People are people are very interested in exploring what HTC is coming up with their Exodus phone. Um, I know that you uh, did an exclusive interview with Phil Chen. He's the um, he's one of the guys that brought uh, Exodus uh, to to the public um, as uh, at HTC. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you learned from Phil and really the vision behind what's gotten a lot of people excited on the World Wide Web. Right. So we've seen blockchain phones uh, come up in the last few years as the new trend in crypto and blockchain, right? The thing is, however, is that most of these blockchain phones are merely marketing gimmicks. They have a software wallet. They have some branding. It's simply a phone with a fancy software skin. Now, HTC's phone is different. So it's different because you can securely store your crypto keys in part of the processor that is reserved for secure applications. So that part of the processor called the ARM trust zone is where things such as your fingerprints are stored for logging into your phone or your face is stored for facial recognition, that kind of stuff. So most uh, applications can't access this part of the processor for obvious reasons. But in this case with HTC, uh, they've worked with ARM, which is the chip maker that makes the processors, to allow uh, their software to store these keys inside uh, the phone. So in this case, you have a real use case and this phone, secure storage of keys. Now, with this Exodus 5G hub, this is something entirely different, right? So the 5G hub is, uh, on the surface, a way for you to share your 5G connection with uh, other computers or tablets or what have you uh, around you, right? So that way, if you have four or five people, uh, you can all get them online with 3D 5G. Now, here's the thing. Why would you really want to store your uh, blockchain keys on a hub? Because I understand why you'll store them on your phone. You often bring your phone with you. Uh, your phone also stores other key data, like your emails, uh, text, so on and so forth. But this hub seems like an odd place, an odd thing to associate with secure storage. So this uh, device simply is a rebranded version of HTC's um, Sprint 5G hub, but you take out the Sprint branding, the US telco, and you put in uh, blockchain. So I'm just confused in this case why <laughs> HTC will want to associate a hub with blockchain. It's bizarre because with the Exodus phone, they've done so well in being the one you know, legit blockchain phone in the market. But this is a really confused, really odd product. Well, it's kind of ironic. I mean, you're talking about blockchain. You're talking about the strength in decentralization. You want to centralize everybody's, like, <laughs> access, uh, I guess, on a hub, which is, you know, the, the opposite of that. So that's that's very centralized. Um, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just not sure if this is the right product for uh, blockchain. So uh, I can see why they might want to do it just to brand something with a keyword, some sort of SEO, but I just don't think that the market really needs a blockchain 5G hub like they do a blockchain phone. Yeah. 
that's a that's a, that's insight right there from from our Sam Reynolds, who's actually based in Taiwan. You've you've covered HTC. We've we've both covered the HTC story. Uh, let's see if it reinvigorates that that company and and that uh, that brand. All right, well, let's let's here's hoping. Take a, yeah, there you go. Well, finally, let's take a closer look from our vantage point in Asia on what's happening in China. Okay, so um, let's talk about China blockchain news and trends here with COVID-19 obviously uh, has affected the entire uh, economy, um, but it's also caused a short term negative impact on blockchain related companies in China. Um, what's what's the sense uh, of the short term pain? And do you think we're going to see it in the long term? I guess that's a global question everyone's asking. Well, certainly. So like any kind of tech company or any company in China, they're all feeling the uncertainty of COVID-19 right now. So, for instance, uh, blockchain crypto exchanges that might have lots of Chinese clients, they are suffering because people aren't putting their cash into crypto when they are uncertain about the economy's future in China. So I think that with uh, these blockchain tech companies in China, it's like any other firm right now, is that it's really an uncertain time right now. And they're looking towards the future with a big question mark to see what comes. Because the reality is we could be with COVID-19 for a while or it could clear up in two months. Uh, that lack of certainty means if you're an executive, it's tough to make decisions on spending, on OPEX, on CAPEX. So these really are confusing times for any company in China, not just blockchain. But if there's one thing about China, it is about understanding the long tail. And, uh, you know, on the other uh, side of this story, when it comes to blockchain, Beijing has just issued the city's first blockchain electronic invoice. So what that means is that you could pay your taxes, you could pay presumably whatever you need to pay uh, to the government of Beijing, and this can all be done on uh, the first blockchain electronic invoice. It was actually issued at an international parking lot. Um, so, and they're, they're going to start issuing these blockchain invoices to all the parking lots throughout Beijing. This is a dynamic that I think that people really need to pay attention to. They're accelerating the use of blockchain, uh, in real world, uh, cases. In this case, it's GovTech. Um, and that's exactly what we were talking about in our China blockchain report. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about actually how, unlike, you know, certain uh, consulting firms in the U.S., which have a very negative view on blockchain, China has gone full force. And the reality is blockchain is now in China. They've deployed blockchain in both the public sector as well as in corporations, and the technology works. So in this case, it might seem mundane that it's a parking lot. But here's the thing. A common expense for business is parking. So if you're a salesperson or an executive and you're at another office, you have to park there, you pay for the parking fee, you expense that. And so blockchain is a great way to actually reconcile these expenses and to also snuff out fraud. So if you try and fraudulently claim uh, parking fees or in the future other kinds of expenses, and it doesn't reconcile via the blockchain with the company that issued the um invoice, that will raise red flags. So even though it's one small step, uh, I do think that this is just pr more proof that China understands the power of blockchain, especially for things like 
reconciling uh, expenses and bills and looking for fraud too. All right. Well, I think that sound means that we got to go back to work. Sam, you and me and the rest of the team, we're going to continue to monitor the top trends and really what people are paying attention on the World Wide Web. But more importantly, to give you the kind of insights that lets you understand exactly why it's important to you. So thanks for joining us on this recent edition of The Current Forecast. Until next time, I'm Angie Lau, Forecast News Editor-in-Chief with our senior correspondent, Forecast Insights, Sam Reynolds. Sam, that was fun. Thank you. Okay, let's do it again. Until the next time.